911 emergency, what do you report? to another episode of We Speak Dispatch. We are wound up today. Everybody's having a great day, that's for sure. Leslie, how are you doing? I am fired up. It is a great day to be on a podcast, talking to people, and uh, just, it's awesome. Every day is an awesome day. It is. Doug, how are you doing? Everything's great, and uh, we've had some great guests today, and hopefully uh, Toby will be the same thing. So, no pressure, Toby, just saying. (laughs) <laughs> we are joined by Toby. Toby, take a little time and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, hi, my name is Toby Akers. I live in Southwest Virginia. Uh, I've been in public safety for about eight years now. I started in volunteer EMS and then moved to become a telecommunicator. I've been doing that for about three years now. Um, I founded a Facebook group called the Tenacious Telecommunicator back uh, earlier this year in 2021. Um, and that's been going well. I've been attending several conferences with that and teaching various classes. Um, so it's just been a good year. And I've kind of, it's been a year of getting immersed in kind of the dispatch 911 culture. So it's been a good year. Well, we are definitely happy to have you today. And one of the things that you did not mention that I want to ask a bunch of questions about is I hear that you are a uh, committee member for the APCO Young Professionals Committee. Why don't you tell us what that is and how you became a member of that? Um, So the Young Professionals Committee kind of brings young professionals in 911 together to kind of network and do different service projects and kind of get the word out about 911 and give talk about opportunities that are in 911, things like that. Um, So back in... I don't know what month it was, but a while back, um, I was on the APCO website and I was like, it was like, sign up for committees. So I was kind of reading through all the various committees and reading through which ones I'd like. And then I kind of narrowed it down and I was like, the young professional sounds like a really good committee that I'd be interested in. So I signed up and then I got to. Yep. I'm going to ask a question that we talked about before we went live and Doug's already laughing. Could Doug join the young professionals committee? Oh, my God. And he stopped. He, Look he at froze. Him. He froze. I didn't think it was his internet that froze. Well, I don't know. Doug might be under 35. I don't know. So oh, maybe. then I can join them. Okay, good. Yeah, so that's, yeah. uh, that, that's really a good thing. So, um, yeah. wow. So basically what it is, it's an ageist situation. Is that the deal? So you just discriminate mm. against age. Okay, that's cool. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> what well, well, was the answer in case people didn't hear it? Who said it was 35 and below that can join the Young Professionals Committee? That's correct. 35 and below. How many people are on that committee? Um, I am actually not sure. I just got put on the committee last week. Um, but is it people so, from just Virginia or is it people from all over the country or what? Uh, it's nationwide. Wow. Uh, nationwide. That's, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And then usually at the uh, nationwide APCO conference, which is in Anaheim, California this year, um, they usually do a service project and a young professionals mixer. Um, nice. In the past, they've done like um served at like a food pantry things like that oh wow um, and things like that so i well and it's interesting we were we have done a couple episodes today and and one of them talking about culture and sort of the toxicity of um this profession and how it seems to perpetuate and 
it is going to be, Toby, the people that you interact with and these younger people who are starting out their careers <clears throat> in 911 who are ultimately going to say, okay, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. And, and hopefully you've got that group that can spearhead some of the changes that are so necessary in our profession because it seems like nobody else has been successful in trying to, to change how the culture is in dispatch. So if, if you can fix that, <laughs> man, wow. fully support. That's awesome. No pressure on you, but you know, wow, change the whole culture. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a that's a lot of pressure. But. Hey, just a quick set during your uh, brief introduction as you went from EMS to telecommunications, EMS to dispatch. What was your biggest hurdle that you had to cross in going from EMS to the other side of the radio? Um, so I think the biggest hurdle that I had to kind of cross is first off being able to like touch the patient and do everything that I wanted to do versus telling somebody else to do some of those things and following those procedures and then kind of not knowing if the person and not being able to see if the person was doing it correctly. That was kind of a, a hurdle that I faced. Um, and then also kind of the, I kind of had a different view of dispatch when I was in EMS. I didn't really know all the things that dispatch did. Um, and kind of coming in and just being like, wow, this is a lot of stuff that I didn't know was happening behind the scenes. Um, and then also being able to like kind of process the call before you get there is a big difference than hitting the answer button and it be right there. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest differences I've seen. Without using your agency name, do you guys use EMD at your agency? We do. And going from the field to EMD, how hard was that to learn EMD? I actually personally love EMD. I think it's a good uh, system to use. Um, I ran EMS both before EMD and after EMD. And I think the, the information that we get from the EMD system is so important to our response and how we respond to calls. So, and I kind of, some people in my agency do not necessarily like EMD system. Mm -hmm. So kind of changing that culture of, oh, well, here's why it's beneficial was kind of good to see as, because I came in and I'm like, yes, I love EMD. Like I'm ready for all the EMD calls. Just let me, let me take them all. Um, and then some people on my shift were like, why do you like EMD so much? And then I kind of explained it to them. And if they had questions, they would be like, Toby, which, which protocol do I use? Or <laughs> if they're doing this, which, what do I do? And I was like, we'll do this. And then kind of our agency as a whole has finally kind of gotten used to using EMD and things have, our um, QA reports have greatly, greatly improved. Mm. So. Hmm. Uh, Toby, you, you said something about, uh, and I thought it was so profound because I hadn't really ever thought about that before, is the difference between being in the field and being in the dispatch center. You know, in the field, you have that time while you're en route to the call to process what you're going to be doing, where in dispatch, you know, you hit that answer button and you're in it. Um, I know you're involved in training as well. What sort of things can dispatch centers across the country do 
to address that so that when that answer is, you know, that button is, is chosen, they can be better prepared for what's going to be on the other end of the line. Um, I think the biggest thing would just be more training for our personnel and just kind of like activity-based training, like hands-on training that actually like kind of immerses you into like a real type situation. Um, or like even like tabletop, tabletop exercises to kind of go through, hey, this is, this is the type of questions we're looking for. This is the type of information we're looking for. And maybe even having responders come in from the various agency and says, when you get this type of call, this is the information we need from you. And this is the critical part of information. So I think, I think it all boils down to training and understanding why that information that we're obtaining is important. Joe, did you have your hand up? <laughs> no, I, oh, I'm like, I was, I was waiting patiently, like, okay, whatever. So yeah. let me ask you this, Toby, because I worked for an agency that did not do protocol dispatching, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I went and visited a lot of centers that do EMD, and it looks incredibly difficult to me to do that kind of thing. So obviously, I'm probably been on longer than you've been alive, but <laughs> but do you find that people have been on a long time can? jump onto the EMD just as easy as anybody else? Or is it more of a, because I'm always curious about your experience in the field. Can you use that in the comm center itself? Like when you're looking at thinking about a call, can you say like, well, when I was in the field, we did it like this or that? Um, so I think to answer kind of your first question, That's I think true. people who have more experience and have come from a system that did not use EMD prior, I think it's, a harder adjustment for them. However, I think eventually after they kind of get immersed and have that understanding on why the, the questions that they're asking are critical to the response, I think they have a better knowledge and understanding of why that information is important mm. and right. can kind of understand that a little bit better. Um, and then to your second question, um, so in the field, um, what I do in the field is a lot different than what I would do in the dispatch center. Um, so I think having that knowledge has helped me to better be a fire EMS dispatcher to kind of be able to predict what they might want based on what I think I might want in the field. Mm. But as far as like protocols, I'm very strict about following the protocols. Um, well, that's what I was wondering about because you have that experience. It's like, is it tempting to like, wait a minute, this is what would really work in that situation. So yeah, that's what I was worried about that thinking, how would you get away from that? Where you had this experience, you know what to do, yet you may not be able to do it that way. So yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to circle back real quick to the young professionals committee. We only got a few more minutes to go. And I want to yes, ask Joe, you, I still can't be a member. So yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, Doug's out. Doug's out. So he can't take any of his ideas. I can't either for the most part. I can't take it. That's why Toby, we got to ask you to take our ideas. All right. So what is something that, and I know you've only been on a week and this may not even exist with the committee, but if it does, what's something that you would tell the committee, this is what the dispatch centers across the nation need to do to attract people to the profession of 911? Good question. Um, I think it's just being able to kind of present the 911 as a career instead of just a job. I think that's so important because a lot of people coming in 
kind of view it as a job or a stepping stone to something else, when in reality, we can make it as big or as small as we want to make it. Um, so I think that's so important to kind of say, you're not kind of stuck in this box, you're not going to have, you're going to have a, something different every day, and it's going to be exciting. And you're also, um, I know a lot of people kind of like the adrenaline rush of EMS and fire and police, but a lot of those things are dangerous. And some people are kind of scared of that danger, but still kind of want that adrenaline rush. Yeah. So that we're kind of protected in the dispatch center. Now, obviously we still have some of those emotional and mental um, implications that field responders do. However, we're not actually like our bodies aren't in harm's way. Um, so I think that's a big uh, selling point. And then also, again, circling back to the career thing, you can make it as big as you want. If you want to be a director, there's people and steps to do that and pathways to go. Or if you're just happy um, being a telecommunicator and working through and training new telecommunicators, that's critical too. So it's just finding where you fit in the whole puzzle of telecommunications and figuring out where you can make your biggest impact. I think that's probably. I'm going to ask Doug and Leslie the same thing here to wrap this episode up. If, if we could make an impact with this group and we got Toby here to be able to take something to the group for us. Mm -hmm. Toby, what I would tell you is uh, staffing is the, one of the biggest issues in 911 centers. And if this group could come up with ways that we can recruit uh, people that haven't been thought of outside of the box and you guys could kick around ideas and get a list to the APCO members uh, nationwide, that would be awesome. Leslie, what would you tell Toby? Um, and I love, Toby, what you're talking about with uh, making this a career, because I think that's huge and really highlighting the impact, the difference that you make every single time that you walk through the door and answer that phone that, you know, if, if you're driven by helping others and you want to serve your community, then this is an absolutely fantastic career to choose. And then second, um, really for agencies and those people in those leadership positions to be innovative, We've learned from the pandemic that we don't need a brick and mortar necessarily to have meetings and, and run a, a business, so to speak. And I know that there's a lot of different security issues and things like that, but I think that we really as a profession need to work on being innovative and creating an opportunity for different schedules, working from home, some of these things that really are going to attract people because there are so many great benefits through the performance of their job. If we can make performance or make the environment better, I think that that could have an impact. So those, that, those are my two ideas. Wow. Absolutely, those are, those are two great ideas. Well, you know, my thing is this, I, I, and I go back to this only because I've been doing research and it shows that baby boom generation like me and Leslie are going to start retiring here anytime soon. We've almost reached retirement age. I mean, I have, she has, we're there. When we're walking out the door with all that experience that new people maybe aren't even thinking we should probably talk to them and get some of that experience they've had. What was it like when you did this or that or whatever? And we're missing out on that whole investment of networking to this person that's walking out the door. And I would encourage 
the younger people that are coming on the job to talk to the seniors and see what they got. Maybe they did something wrong and you can learn from that too, going, I would never do it like that. I would do it like this. So I just think it's a waste of opportunity when people don't do that kind of thing. And I'm always pushing it out there. So hopefully you take that back to them and tell them that. A lot of succession planning in Doug's answer. And Toby, I want to thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to join us today. Doug, why don't you tell people where they can find us? We're all over the place. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We're on TikTok. I just put up a TikTok video the other day. So we're up there. So we're all over every darn social media platform you could think of because we have so many places. That's it, I guess. And Joe, <laughs> thank you. I didn't know you were done, Doug. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to join us. We definitely appreciate you serving on the APCO Young Professionals Committee, having a positive attitude, bringing new ideas to the 911 profession. We thoroughly enjoyed having you on. We hope you enjoyed your time with us. That's been another Yay. excellent episode. <laughs> we speak this past. Be sure and check it out. Thanks, Toby. Thank you. Hey, this is Jill, and you've been listening to another great episode of We Speak Dispatch, proudly sponsored by our friends at Zybex.